In this season's finale and our second Patreon special, we're again handing the reins to a regular listener so that we get to hear an album that is special to them. This time, the decision falls to one of our earliest fans, Cody Gobert, who wants our take on Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves. According to Cody, softly strummed acoustic guitars that blur into sepia haze, bound as pedal steel as conduit for eternity, communing so effortlessly with touches of space-age funk that you wonder why nobody ever did it before. It's a perfect country record. Well said, Cody. Thanks for supporting the show in our first season. This is Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves, suggested by Cody Gobert. You're listening to Between the Tracks. Season a book for now, eh? But for music. <laughs> Join the conversation at tracks.show. Why are you always hyping it up? Uh, it was like, especially on the last one of the series, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, then you have to go twice as big now. Uh, oh, you know how to do it. What do I do? Oh, I see. <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome back once again to Between the Tracks, episode 11, the last one of the season. It was, supposed, it was supposed to be 10, but we decided to do another one because... <laughs> My name is Carl Lewis, with me as always is Charlie Fowler. Hello Carl. And Chris Bunt. Howdy, y'all. Hello mate. Oh, that was relevant. See? Oh, you went for a howdy, nice. Hand the reins. You don't mind me saying that up top? Hand, handing the reins over to a listener? Yeah, handing, well played, the, well handing the reins of a horse. 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 Don't mind that? No, it's, yeah. Okay. Fine, that. Good. Gets a pass. How's your week been then? Great, actually. What have you been up to? Nothing. <laughs> Sick week. Nice. Um, what have I been doing? Just recording sweet beats, really. Oh, sweet tunes, yeah. Yep. Nice. That's what have been doing. How not, about you? Not me. Maggie's Farm again. Oh, uh, yeah. Slave mm. to the wage. Slave to the wage. Maggie's Farm. It's a shitter, isn't it? It's all right. It's okay. Money's coming in now, so we've got, we got a wage. We've got a wage. Good, man. Good, man. So, as you heard at the top- oh, right, whoa, whoa. How are you? I'm, yeah. I, do you know what? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> Thanks for asking though, mate. You know? I didn't it's care like a bit of a one-way street sometimes. Like, nice to hear from you, Bunt. Carl, crack on, boy. <laughs> as long as me and Jazz yeah, are all right, yeah. get on with it. So, um, as you heard at the top, we are looking at Casey Musgrave's Golden Hour this week, suggested to us by longtime listener and contributor to the show, Cody Gober. Uh, initially, when we first put the first episode out, which would have been Snail Mail, we stuck a bunch of stuff out on Reddit and Instagram and Twitter and and he picked it up and gave us some really nice responses and was probably the first person to really seem engaged in the whole project. So yeah, thanks for listening for so long, Cody. Thanks, mate. Thank you. And thanks for an amazing suggestion. So yeah, Casey Musgraves Golden Hour released on the 30th of March, 2018 on the MCA label Nashville, um, which is part of Universal. It's the last remaining MCA label that uses the MCA name. All the rest of them are now... UMG and Universal. Nice. Keeping it on the down low. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I'm so pleased that none of us have actually said that on any podcast so no, far. Not yet. And on, the, on the season finale, old boys come up with keeping it on the down low. So, so unnecessary. Such an unnecessary placement over as well. We've been working on our own catchphrases over the course of the <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. And we're allowed to bring them out once yeah. this time around. <laughs> that was great, mate. You did it really well. Thanks, man. Thanks. Um, reached number four on the Billboard 200 charts, won a bunch of Grammys, which we'll go into, and was placed as number 270 on Rolling Stone's best 500 albums of all time. Boom. I mean, to be on that list is big. Christ. Especially two years in, like that, yep. two years ago. No, oh, this album, she smashed it with it as well. Mm. But mm. it was a long climb. She worked hard for it. It was a um, slow burn. It was a slow burn, yeah. Uh, how did you get on with it? Did you like it? Obviously, Charlie, you're a, you're a fan. I've just got to, at the top, just tell you all that I 
just love this album. It's, it's it will be. I can say this safely. One of my favorite albums going forward forever. Big big yeah. big shout. I'm gonna wow. put it there. You're the, gonna put it the they're top. on your own Rolling Stones list, really. They this, are, this, yeah. this this yeah. album is on that Rolling Stones list. It is indeed. Um I yeah, I I think I rounded up the album properly over the past couple of days. Mm-hmm. I was getting there, I was getting there, I was on the fence a bit, I'd say. Um and something something clicked over the past few days and I started really enjoying it a lot more. Uh, because country new country I hear a lot from, you know, the industry people that I know, you know, you in- included, Charlie. Um, new country has, uh, has like a, is going through a renaissance or something. It's massive, isn't it? Which, mm-hmm. which completely passed me by. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the it, crossover of yeah, it, I think. It's, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I came on board uh, over the past couple of days for sure. Happy to jump on in. Let's do it. Please. Great. Well, um, this is episode 11 of Between the Tracks. We are the book club for music. This is Casey Musgrave's Golden Hour, suggested to us by longtime listener Cody Goba, and this is track one, Slow Burn. I'm alright with a slow burn Taking my time, let the world turn I'm gonna do it my way, it'll be alright If we burn it down and it takes all night It's a slow That was track one, Slow Burn, the fourth single from the album, released 16th of October, 2018. You've got a head shake on, in a good way. I have got, I've got one of the shakes that I, I you know, the head shakes that I have when I eat a really good burger and I look at it and go... <laughs> look at it right in the eye. Yeah, like, for me... <laughs> this song is a lot like a burger, is what you This saying. song is a lot like a burger. Layered. No, a good burger. Layered, yeah. I, I first heard this song, just a, a little bit of background, mm-hmm. Good Friends in a good friend's garden drinking a couple of beers on a summer's evening. And I remember it came on and I think I made him play it about five times in a row. It's enough to make you a fan for life, isn't it? I literally, I, I could have heard this song and said that this was one of my favorite albums of, of all time. Really? It really gets you that much? I, it really gets me that much. And I, I could say, I could talk about this song the whole, the whole podcast. And in fact, as well, I was uh, listening to a Zane Lowe interview that he did with Casey and um, funnily enough, he went on to say that he couldn't get past this song for an hour. Well, I mean, I don't oh, know if he meant that. to it. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. Know if he meant that literally. But. Right. I'll tell you what it's good for, for someone who doesn't really know her like myself. There's so much exposition uh, about her in this song. Like she does so much in the first verse alone. Mm. I've got it written down. So she, she basically, she outlines her heritage, her age, the way she was born, because she was born early, mm-hmm. her family ties, and her conservative roots, how she is as a person, her demeanor, her attitudes to alcohol and drugs and sexuality. That's what she does in... In one verse. In one... I think that's all in the first verse. Flipping out. It's interesting, isn't it? Because <clears throat> this song was originally supposed to be last on the album. Yeah, I read that too. Yeah, so she'd like done what I guess most artists will do is like cut out a bunch of bits of paper with the song names on and, and right. shuffle them all around. Yeah. And this song was always very last. Nah, man, that's... I'm so this glad the, this it's was, not. This was the last track written for the album. Right. And okay. so she just kind of put it at the end. And originally, Oh, What a World was going to be track one. And that was going to be the opener. Right. But then she eventually shuffled it. And obviously, this, is, this needs to be the opener. Well, if it's got all of that information up top, especially because this is, like, this album is really different to the albums that came before, really, isn't it? If mm. you ever go back to them, like, they're really, really rooted in, in, uh, in, away from, I guess, the psychedelic, uh, spacey 
spacey casey that we have here mm-hmm. isn't straight it? up country isn't yeah it? yeah um so yeah this is really important to have as the first song i think yeah yeah and calling out those lines you just said you've got the born in a hurry always late haven't been early since 88 because mm-hmm. she was born born on a baby shower on a mum's baby shower yeah yeah which is crazy like imagine opening up all the presents and just sitting there chilling and then there she comes well, i might as well open up one myself <laughs> yeah i might as well open my own <laughs> human present yeah 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 a little bit about that verse as well because there's um she's she stole one of her old lines did you know did you see that one of those lines existed you know about the um about her grandma crying when she pierced her nose, which is a true, a true story. Mm. But that existed in another song of hers, which this is called Slow Burn. Um, the previous song that she had written, I don't think she released it, was called Burn One with John Prine. John Prine being one of her influences. Mm-hmm. Um, he died really, recently. Yeah, he died last year. He died of the coronavirus last year. Really? Yeah, no it was. Way. Yeah, I remember when he died. Wow, yeah. No. Um, and yeah, she stole that. She actually stole one of her own lines and, and repurposed it for this song. Which Fit, I, fits perfectly. She said she's allowed to, yeah. <laughs> she's she's like, I wrote it, so I'm allowed to borrow from myself. Damn right. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. But no, I, yeah, a, a wonder, like a wonderful start and such a great feeling. Like it's got, it's all, almost like just like um, trickles along at such a nice pace. Um, it's, it's like spacious. And then when all the instruments come in, it like tightens everything up mm. nicely. Um, it really rem- reminds me of Sufjan Stevens, if you've ever listened yeah, to yeah. him. Like it, the some of the outlier instruments that aren't necessarily the main focus of the song give me give me that sort of thing. So. For sure, yeah. I saw a really great video with her two producers on this record that were obviously a really big in well, a big influence on the sound of this. Um, and they were Ian Fitchuk and Daniel Tashian. Um, and it was talking about this song and the way it was kind of produced and written. And they were talking about how you know, Casey would arrive. She, she was there for the whole process, but she'd be in the studio and they would layer up all these ideas. With this song in particular, she spent the majority of the time stripping away oh, okay. layers of sound. Mm-hmm. So they had a, you know, I think it was Daniel said that there were some production things that he wished had stayed actually on the track that Casey was like, no, it's too much. It's too layered. It's too complicated. And she t- she spent a lot of the time stripping away. There was a bunch of like Eastern yeah, like melodies Middle Eastern and stuff. Kind of like, yeah. yeah, I think they, they gave her the nickname the Axeman. That's right. right. She would come in and just cut stuff out. That's how. The... Um, that's how Wilco. When we were talking about Wilco, that's what they were doing, wasn't it? Remember, they were building a song and then completely destroying it. Yeah, yeah. Because they owned the song, so they were able to do that. Just like you said, we're pulling that line from yeah. a previous song. It's had to do with as she wishes. But yeah, yeah, they co-wrote and co-produced the album. Yeah, Daniel Tashin and Ian Fitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really psychedelic. It's really out there. A lot of it is really spacey, as as you said. And you have that line, good in a glass, good on green, good when you're putting your hands all over me. And that's the first reference to weed in, yeah. this, in this album, which she does a lot. She talks about taking psychedelics and, and smoking weed and stuff like that. Well, it, she, she's quite explicit about this being a particular song that she mm. wrote while on acid. Yeah, yeah. yeah she, was, she was having a gentle trip. She, I think she described Out on her porch. It. She was sat on her porch. That was Mother. And this, written on the same day. Really? On the same trip. Fuck, imagine that. Yeah. She's definitely like an advocate of weed smoking, and I guess, and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. she does. I remember she did in the lockdown recently a gig as part of Willie Nelson's like live from home thing mm-hmm. on 420, obviously, last yeah. year. Um, did you see the range of candles and stuff she brought out and lighters? Yeah. Yeah. She's got like really fucking cool candles called Slow Burn, and she's got a lighter, and the lighter says um, Burn in a Hurry on the top of it. Right. And it's a really fucking cool design. Oh, no. I mean, that must be my merchandise. Uh, knowledge of hers is is coloring books because she also got a coloring book so that's my that's my expertise that's what so you, spoke to you. you stick with um, that and I'll She's stick with the coloring books yeah also I will talk about it later Carl but me and Carl were very fortunate enough to see her live 
which we'll get onto later. We did, yeah, yeah. But um, she, I think, almost always opens her set with this song. She does, yeah. And it has to be. It blows my mind that it wouldn't ever be first yeah. in anything. Makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. you would not believe the anticipation for when the drums come in from mm-hmm. the cold crowd. Okay. It's unbelievable. Thank you for bringing that up. Okay, because what I love about that is that the lyrics that she that she sings at that point, when she says, uh, in Tennessee, the sun's going down, but in Beijing, they're heading out to work. Like the idea of that going out to work is like an action, and then the drums come in after the action. I felt in, inspired to look this up because this happens in a Phoebe Bridges song as well, when she mentions drums, then the drums come in. This is something called word painting. I'll read this. I'll just read this verbatim. Using the device of word painting, the music tries to imitate the emotion, action, or natural sounds as described in the text. For example, if the text describes a sad event, the music might be in a minor key. Conversely, if the text is joyful, the music may be set in a ma- in a major key. Mm-hmm. And I just find I, I find all of those sorts of things fascinating. Same with like um, same with Jeff Buckley. Oh, um, Leonard Cohen. Sorry, then. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor, minor fall, fall the and major the major lift. lift. Same thing, the lyrics, or may, I guess the music is following the lyrics or representing the lyrics. And I, mm-hmm. thought that, I, I find that so, so, so interesting. I'm glad you, yeah. Thank you for, thank you for me. Thanks for backing it up. Thank you for allowing me into that, that bit. Give me a high five. Like oh, a, yeah. Bada bing. Now, before we move on, we'll move on to the track two in just one second. I just wanted to bring a quote in from Casey, which kind of outlines this song. She says, I can apply a slow burn to a lot of different areas of my life, like my career, taking me time, nothing's a race, do something that's right for you because it feels right. Relationships, friendships, I was thinking, even in the drink in my hand, enjoy it, don't knock it back. And that's kind of where the song comes from. Amen. Now, this is obviously a Patreon episode, so it would be unfair if we didn't give an opinion on a song if we didn't have one. So Cody says about this. The first thing I noticed is how genuinely reminiscent it is of Neil Young or early Americana. It's confident, it breathes, it's a perfect record. So it's a yeah, it's a good show. It does I think I saw in an interview somewhere her and the producers talking about how the guitar on its own when they first brought it did sound a lot like Neil Young, that kind of Harvest Moon era and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm. So yeah, good shout. Um let's move on. This is track two, Lonely Weekend. I did BBs on, on, I did BBs on this tune. Yeah. And are you bringing an album out? Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's my thing, isn't it? <laughs> Stay tuned for my album next week, Lonely Weekend by Chaz. <laughs> that was track two, Lonely Weekend. What a groove. What a groove. Want to talk about the um, those drums? I mean, I didn't even know what they were, I, personally. I've got a theory. I think it's the first part of is a snare drum with the snares off. Oh, and the ba ba is oh. a timbale. Oh, these nailed it. Well, I'm not here for theories, though, Carl. I'm here for facts. So, um, <laughs> well, you are the fact guy. Have you yeah, got a yeah. fact about it, Charlie? Um, uh, quick, uh, longer quick. song, uh, longer song. Uh, love is a wild thing. Is <laughs> <laughs> I um, love that one. I love the groove of that. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's uplifting. It's clear, isn't it, from track two 
how amazingly recorded this album is. Yeah. The whole thing sounds incredible. It's it really amazing. Does. And then obviously now we've got to bring up the fact that it was actually recorded um, in Cheryl Cole's studio. Yeah. And also Cheryl Crow's studio as Fuck. well. Fuck. Oh my God. <laughs> you say Cheryl Cole? <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. I meant Cheryl Crow, obviously, because Cheryl Cole, Cheryl Cole's studio is probably um, not, not particularly nice. <laughs> Oh, oh, cool. Carl, oh, sign me off. Oh. Flip. God, that went terribly. Anyway. <laughs> Save it. It comes up in another one of my points. Save it for now, all right? Oh. Cheryl Crow, Cheryl Carl, same difference. It's close enough, wasn't it? That was excellent. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> Tell you what, though, I do like is the guitar tone in that. Uh, yeah. Oh, that lovely little rounded off. Uh, that lovely. Oh, really that reminding one. me of this girl's allowed tune. Um <laughs> Sound of the underground. Oh Jesus! We don't have to talk about any more of the song now. We're sort of done now. This is track track three. (laughs) (laughs) But to pull it back to the song, this like what I noticed from the whole album, and this is where I really start to get it as it moves through, is this album just seems to completely live and embody the idea of just letting things be and Mm. coming to terms with things and being okay with existence and just finding a place amongst it all. I mean, she said she was super happy at the point she was recording this, didn't she? she this album. Yeah. yeah. She felt like she was in a really good place. She, she obviously mentioned she was just recently married as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she was in a good headspace and probably everything had a slight rose tinted glasses vibe to it. Mm-hmm. With everything that she does, every problem she does bring up with herself, she kind of has a reasonable, rational conversation with herself through song i think so i've got a bit of a uh, trivia competition for you both okay so this song lists the days of the week mm-hmm. throughout it monday yada tuesday we were having for wednesday yada yada yeah can you name me any more songs that do that it's one of them craig david's song craig david seven days seven correct days. Yeah. Not any more happy the happy day seem team Yep, Happy Days theme tune. <laughs> you didn't have that, didn't you? You didn't have that one. I don't, I've only got Craig David written there. Um, I do have another one in my mind. Any more? Uh, Friday I'm in Love by The Cure. Yep. Nice. I've done well here, by the way. You have done well. For a non-lyric guy. I've got Lady Madonna by The Beatles. Monday's down is learned to take his boot Oh, Monday, Monday. Did, did Mr. Postman have the days of the weekend? No, nah, because he doesn't work Sundays. Oh, yeah. Well, if anyone listening knows any more or can think of any more that, that go through the days of the week, let us know in the comments and we'll um, look at them. I'm gutted knowing that Casey Musgraves has ripped off Craig David there, though, you know? Yeah. You know, Craig David did the whole seven days thing. You haven't got to do this. Monday I was gone and Tuesday you were working late. You know, Craig's done that <laughs> from a sexual, on yes. a sexual, uh, from Is a sexual it? bent. Oh, yeah. Hey, call back. Yeah, call back. Call back. From a sexual bend. Um, we're going to talk about the halftime bridge or what? Um, I said halftime, obviously my favourite part. I'm a Feels great. It's such a simple and full tune at the same time. It just feels, the groove's great. I think the whole song sounds great. I just wrote FM radio vibes. Like mm. it, that's, a, that's a radio treat, you know? Yeah. You could hear that for, for the first time in your car and you go, oh, that's a, what a, wonderfully approachable almost on the on the surface of a very simple and accessible song mm-hmm. just like a lot of the other girls allowed tunes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i do love those synth lines as well they're, they're on 
they're, yeah, they're so, they're so on the edge of... There's no need to whistle there. <laughs> they're, they're on the edge of, of being absolute cheese, but throughout this whole album, sort of gets away with it. But she is oh, yeah. right on the edge. She, mm. she plays into that. You know, mm. the way she dresses, the way it's all stylized. She does oh, that. It's kitsch as hell, isn't it? Hey, call back. We'll come back to that later. Why? Oh, I will see you there. Um, I'll see you there as well, Carl. Um, But one line I did want to pull before we do go is, um, if my sister lived in town, I know that we'd be doing something fun, which references her sister, Kelly Christine Sutton, I think, or Kelly Musgraves. I'm not sure what the relationship is exactly, but that's her sister, a younger sister, I think. And she is a photographer who photographed the artwork for this album and designed the artwork and for Casey's other albums as well. Okay. Very cool. Keep it in the family. So with that being said, let's move on to track three, which is called Butterflies. Now you're lifting me up, steady. Track three, Butterflies, the second single from the album, released February 23rd, 2018, won Grammy for the best country solo performance at the 61st ceremony in 2019. Get on. Did not know that. So, Casey describes this as, she says, um, Butterflies is one of my favorite songs on the record. Everything from the lyrics down to the production really represents the floaty, dreamy feeling that I got as soon as he he came into my life, referring to her husband, Rustin. So um, there you go. That's a little sum up just after you guys have heard it. Yeah, this was written a week after she met him. Mm. So that's fresh love. Fair. They met at like a writing round table thing, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they met at the Bluebird. The Bluebird Cafe. Mm-hmm. Which it, I've been to and it's fucking cool. Did You You weren't there on a... On I was a, there that night and <laughs> she went to Russell's table and I was a bit <laughs> pissed off about Charlie it. Charlie was there with a the bow tie on playing bass. <laughs> All I do! <laughs> All I do, Lee. And um, yeah, so she met him that night. I think she went up to him afterwards and was like, I don't normally do this, but here's my number. Um, I'd love to write with you. And they definitely wrote together. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Uh, have you listened to the RuPaul interview with her? No. <laughs> when she says that in that interview, they're like, <laughs> she says, um, yeah, and then I, I took my phone number up and said, um, we should definitely write together. And then the host, not RuPaul, whoever's with RuPaul, is like, and then you wrote together. You said, yeah, I wrote all over his face is what she said in that interview. So, I know. So it's a good interview, that RuPaul one. He'll, we'll get to that a bit later on. She talks a lot about the um, the male dominance of the country scene. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so that'll come up again later. But That's a big thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, do yeah. You th- what do you think of the song? Because this one for me is is actually bottom of the list. I, I find this one a little bit saccha- saccharine and a bit sweet. And It's a bit candy coated obviously love song very sweet hits all the right notes at the right time yeah it's not my favorite you know it did really well obviously went out there and won the grammy and stuff like that but it's it does what it needs to i think it's a pop country single and that's it i don't really have much attachment to it can i give you my biased opinion because obviously i love this album it's at the bottom of my list too oh is it really Really? okay well okay that makes me feel better maybe <laughs> it, remi- it reminds me of a song by the shins or it reminds me of the shins in general the way it's the way it's written but it reminds me of a song 
from The Shins, um, which is called It's Only Life from mm-hmm. the album Port of Morrow, which is a great album. I will bring that in one day. Um, a line I did pull from it was, I didn't know them and I didn't know me. Cloud9 was always out of reach. And so with that, I dove into a hole trying to find out the origins of Cloud9 and what that means. Because we all say it, you know, it's like, oh, she was on Cloud9 or I was on Cloud9 or whatever. Apparently, back in the day when we first started observing cloud formations in the sky and learning more about them, they got categorized into 10 different types and levels, ranging from cloud zero to cloud nine, nine being the highest. And we now refer to them, I think, as cumulus clouds, um, the big kind of candy floss ones, the cumulus massive ones. Or, uh, cumulonimbus, or is that, uh, is that a different type? Just digging into year eight science in my mind. You're probably right. Like, I've got, I've got it written down as cumulus clouds, but, but it could be what you just said. I can't remember what you just oh, said. Cumulonimbus. Yeah, it was a while ago. Cumulonimbus. <laughs> there you go. But they're the big massive clouds. Like when you're in an aeroplane, the ones that you see that you're above, those top level of clouds. Supermassive white clouds. Exactly. Mm. That's, okay. that's cloud nine. And that's nine. where she was. So that's where it comes from. We're turning into whether a, that's interesting. We're turning into a fact-based uh, podcast in times now. I like it. You know, I'm I, learning a lot. I was wondering, because, you know, I, I thought about that. It's like, I get what she's saying, but where does cloud nine come from? Why do we all say that? And just, why are we okay with it? I'm hecked if I know. Don't want to get cancelled. No, no, no. The use of the vocoder is pretty uncountry to me. Absolutely. It, it is. It is a major crossover, this album, in, in a bunch of different ways. She does bring in different pop and musical elements into the album to make it a departure from country, but keeping those roots, like you say. Mm. Uh, probably most relevantly and most prominently in the next song, which is track four, which we'll move to now, which is called Oh What A World. Track four, Oh What A World. There we go. Vocoder at the start there. There's that vocoder. Yeah, it's very cool. That I like that. It's a little vibe. Did you know that that is Ian Futchik's voice, the producer? No. Oh, sick. That's his voice. That's and a good fact. He said, I, I watched an interview with him and he's talking about it and he's like... Was he using the vocoder? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> the interviewer's like, please, Ian, can you please turn it off because I can't understand. He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> he's like, watch this. Work it hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wrote this song. Using my voice, it was really great. Sorry about this. How are you gonna get out of it? Uh, fade out. I got. How do you do a fade out? Oh, you just Again. you just um, um, disappear I think from it the mic. Goes a little bit like this. Well done, Carl. So yeah, so Ian Futchik, um did the vocoder part for this, and he just in the interview he's talking about it. He's like, I'm used to hearing like my drums and my piano and stuff being played back, but in the live show they use this on track. So you're like walk in during a sound check and hear this blasting out the PA and just be like, oh fuck, that's me. Well, this song was the kind of departure, well not departure from country, but the expansion on her kind of genre in, in, into different fields. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is and, where she um, starts bending genres. Yeah. Exactly. And well, she literally says those words. She was at the Country Music Awards in 2018 and she told reporters that this is a, was the starting point for the record's genre bending soundscape. Okay. So oh. this is a song that was kind of, she dreamt up and heard in a way that was different from many of her previous records. Right. I got the impression this was the first song that was written for, with them at least, mm. Mm. Uh, for the record anyway, and with the, with the co-producers anyway. Yeah. 
thinking and trying to understand how artists write and how albums exist mm. because it's less and less common now that people go into complete writing cycles. Normally there's just a bunch of songs and they get eventually get whittled down into an album. And it always tends to take on its theme and concept when one particular song resonates with the artist. So they might write like 10 songs and one of them, they'll be like, okay, this is what I'm going for. And they'll use that as a seed for the rest of the album. Yeah. So it looks like that's what she's done with this. This is one of my favorites on the album. It really is because it is so spacey and it's so out there and it just exists again in that space I was talking about earlier of just being almost psychedelic, but all the instruments, although they're laced in effects, are all mm. still country in instruments. You've got mm -hmm. like a banjo and stuff just picking away gently underneath, but it's in this massive space. Well, Carl, I've got another quote from Casey here. She says, I just started imagining this land musically where it was possible to keep these elements of country music that are really intrinsic to my music. Pedal steel, banjo, the things that root me in country music, but I also wanted to expand the new frontier for myself with electronic elements. It's a big mixture of a bunch of different things. In case you're on a level, I think. I think you mm. might be. Um, I've got a link. Have you? Have you? I've got a fucking link. No. I do. And, on, it, and it's a real one. And Carl's going to like, be like, you've done it, mate. Go on, mate. Right? So, obviously I'm obsessed with Casey, as we all know now. So Carl very kindly always throws things my way that he'll think, he, he'll be like, you know, have you heard this or seen this? And he sent me a song by Miguel mm -hmm. um, called Waves. And Miguel did a bunch of different versions of this song. One of which was with Casey, which was fucking great. Yeah. And one of which was with Tame Impala. Ah, right. There you go. It's a real link. Do you know what? When I first heard this, this album, uh, as spaced out as it is and, you know, as as affected as it is, I still didn't hear it as like a psychedelic record or any of, any of that. Mm -hmm. But actually, going back to Butterflies, I think is what it was where I first felt it. I was listening to it. I was going, I can imagine Tame Impala covering that i could this i could imagine this being a tender mm -hmm. parlor song but just approached a little differently mm -hmm. and i started almost applying that to to other songs in the in this album and it's like oh okay that's where the crossover is and it's like it's definitely a crossover it's not all yeah. out psychedelia yeah it's for sure it has those elements and like she describes these acid trips and hallucinogenics and smoking weed and just figuring out getting a bit closer to the world around her and stuff and it is that thing, like, I, I definitely have some form of existentialism that comes when I'm in that space. Yeah. Where I start thinking about existing and the world and insignificance within that world and, and life and death and all these different things that, that happen in that. And the line, oh, what a world, don't want to leave, really, really, like, hits me, even though it's so obvious. Yeah. It is a beautiful place to be, and we moan about it, and we live in it, and it's a fucking nightmare to be a part of, especially this human condition that keeps questioning itself. Yeah. Saying something like that in such a poppy atmosphere for some reason really spoke to me. I don't know if it's the contrast of it were the inevitability of, of death and coming to terms with that. I don't know. It just, yeah, I really like that line. There's a lot of beauty in the, in the simplicity of things sometimes. And I, I think in a way that's why I like the lyrical content of mm -hmm. quite a lot of this record because I don't have to question it. I don't have to be like, oh, what, is there another meaning? Is there yeah. another way that this could be interpreted? It's like, some of it obviously can, and there's a lot of rich lyrics, but some of it can just be straight down the line. And then you think about it and you go, shit, that's cool. Yeah. Or like, yeah. I feel something. Well, I was, I was reading an interview with her this morning. I can't remember where it was. And I didn't even write it down, but she was talking about that. And she was saying about, she sort of envies people that are able to write more abstract like that mm -hmm. because she's, she actually isn't able to. This is the way that she writes most comfortably. And that's the country roots, isn't it? Yeah, I, yeah, guess, it, sure. I guess it probably is. And then for somewhere along the line, 
Vampire Weekend came into that conversation. I forget which way around it was. Vampire Weekend had been listening to Casey Musgraves or the other way around, and, and that had affected their writing ability. I forget which way it was, but it was definitely those two artists. Um, but yeah, that's there's there's a lot to be said about the clarity and actually the the certainty of of, of a lot mm. of the things mm. that have been being said in this album mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I find this song the centerpiece of the album, even though it's I mean it's track four, but actually I think this is like not where the album peaks, but this is the peak of the album. If you know what I mean, everything trails from this. I think. That's a good shout. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the epitome. Yeah. I, and, the, and the tour was called the Oh What A World Tour. Right, exactly. I think this really does embody yeah. the message yeah. of the album. I mean, it's it's so grand. Like everything that's dealt with in the... It's, it's, it's funny. All of the subject of the song is really, really grand. It's about the world. It's about um, existence. It's about the earth. And then it like she takes it away by saying at the end of the chorus, and then there was you, and then there is you. So if you're that person... That person who has that one line about them in the in the song, basically they're saying, "The world is huge. It's amazing. Isn't oh, don't we live in an amazing world?" But don't forget, like you're, you're, you're. Then there's also you. Like, yeah, that's a that's a really it's really a beautiful message to someone. It's, there. it's a really cool way of saying you're really important to me. Yeah, uh, like outlining all of the incredible things and, and the amazing going, and the yeah, mystery of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Did you hear the alternative version of this song? The the Earth Day edition 2.0, that's the one. Uh, so that was released last year. That was released on the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. So Earth Day is like a, a day to celebrate the Earth, as it, as you would probably have guessed. <laughs> but it was, inspired, <laughs> Thanks for that, it was inspired by many different things. An oil spill in 1969 that, that killed a load of seabirds and sea, sea animals. Um, people were going to space in 1969 remember yeah, and uh, they had there. that big um they had the earth rise you know that big photograph as well that was mm-hmm. an inspiration uh, like we were, we were just i guess what it was in 1969 to 1970 we were starting to really understand what existence was on earth i guess exploring new in frontiers space race. yeah and then there was a big fire in 1969 on the on the cuyahoga river sorry if that one's wrong uh so yeah so earth day was a reaction to that so let me read the statement that Casey released with um, the new version of Oh What A World. So Oh What A World 2.0 Earth Day Edition. There is a lot to feel downhearted about on this Earth Day. Everyone and everything feels out of balance. People are suffering and the future is uncertain. In the face of a pandemic that has brought cities to their knees, a song can feel small. A melody can seem insignificant. This is a global moment of acknowledgement and respect for the power of nature and for so many of us, extreme challenges and sadness. But in the midst of all the loss and uncertainty, there are signs everywhere of human compassion and renewal. The earth is healing. Bluer skies hang over China and Los Angeles. Clearer water and a positive effect on wildlife is being seen. In spite of all its troubles, it's still a wild, beautiful world, and if you need proof, it's out there. You just might have to look in a different corner of the sky. Right now, there are so many brave people that deserve medals of honour, the nurses, doctors, grocers, the delivery and truck drivers, cashiers, gas station attendants, the scientists, restaurant workers, the single parents, and so many others. I'm just a songwriter, but my hope is that if I bring the light I have in my spirit to the table, maybe it could be a form of energy that lifts everyone else's spirit for a moment. Oh, what a world, dedicated to our planetary home and all the quiet heroes this Earth Day, you're the northern lights in our skies. I'm just about the time the slipping and missing my mother, mother, 
she's probably sitting there thinking about the time that's slipping and missing her mother mother that was track five mother yeah one of the really emotional moments on the album it's beautiful though. yeah it surprised me how much can be done in such a small amount of time that this is under a minute and a half long this this song mm-hmm. um but every time i when this album locked in with me every time i listened to it i really started to feel emotional there's some really key points in this song that just hit me and i I'll, maybe i'll just go ahead and just say what i think is the most amazing part of this song it's the fact that she again we've had this in other songs before where an idea is being made and an idea is being felt and then when she says at the end, just mother again, she just reiterates mother. Mm-hmm. Chord sequence just drops into that really, like it sounds like it's going to change. sounds like it's going to carry on, but it, she, she doesn't. She leaves, she almost drops in one more chord and every single time it's like, just floors me. I just think it's incredibly beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's Re- very nice. Yeah, yeah. And such a nice, like within the album again, it's like you go from right up on Oh What A World with everything which has got a lot in it and this is now like no bells and whistles you just got piano you just got her and it's it's great it's beautiful it? it's beautiful it's a stunner it, it showcases her it showcases her ability as well it's interesting this song again was one that she'd written whilst on a trip of same same night as slow burn same, same porch, night same slow night as slow burn yeah they go on the same trip and she when she's reminiscing about it she says that her husband was playing a bunch of like sad songs in the house while she was out on the porch and they were starting to harsh her vibe a little bit. And she started thinking about her mum and just reminiscing about times with her mum. And then she got a text from her mum at that point. And she just got really sad about it and started writing the song. And she wrote it in about 15 minutes. And what I love about it is the fact that it's quite generational. Where towards the end of the song, she starts shifting about talking about her mum. And wonder she's probably sitting there thinking about her mum. And the, just the generationalism of it really really got to me i really like that it's really cool isn't it yeah i i read that too or listened to that too and it, yeah she says i was sitting there in tennessee missing my mom who sit, sat there in texas missing her mom and it goes on and on yeah forever really, and it's cool isn't it it's it really like, does it's, uh, it's a it's, great yeah. amazing yeah really good song when we we're talking earlier about whether or not it's happiness as a theme uh is we, we weren't exactly talking about it as a as a writing tool but um, we were just talking about the overall idea of this album has quite a lot of happiness within it or acceptance within it and maybe not too much darkness she said about that uh, when she was asked you know if, if being happy sort of hinders her creative process and she said when i got really happy i was like man am i going to be able to write anymore i was a little bit worried that it was going to go away but it kind of turned the opposite corner and inspired me even more but i also didn't want the album just to be 20 love songs and bore everyone to death i like pulling in other aspects of things like with Rainbow or Mother or Space Cowboy. I mean, you've got to still have a little bit of depressing in there somewhere. I think these very few moments of realisation, actualization, um, darkness, if you will, I think are, are really useful to the album because otherwise I would have found this sugar overload, personally. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I think she spends a lot of time dragging you into this universe that she's created in, in a world where she can be then vulnerable and, and give you these more intimate songs yeah and i think that's what it does the whole album takes you into a space that she's created yeah i love the line i hope my tears don't freak you out they're just kind of coming out that idea of um 
like uncontrollable, like almost scary, scary sads. Like mm-hmm. I think that's such a an incredible. Oh, those image. are the powerful tears. Those ones. Yeah. Aren't they? Have you have you felt that before? I've had that before. Mm, when yeah. it's like totally uncontrollable, where um it's almost like a even further heightened state of emotion where you just can't even control them. Yeah. And the way she's talking about like I hope they don't freak you out. It's like when you see someone crying, you automatically think something's wrong. Mm, and in mm. this situation, nothing's inherently wrong. Yeah. It's just, she's just sad slash happy. Uh, call that to a few At times. the same time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it's really, really beautiful, man. Very, very gratefully received. So. Let's make a move on to track six, which is called Love is a Wild Thing. Track six, Love is a Wild Thing. I got a lot of time for that one. It's great, isn't it? I, I do really like that. This became, um, this was my fave after Slow Burn. I worked my way through the album. This was right. my second favorite. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It brings you right back down to earth is from the songs that precede it. Feels a lot more straight country, good vibes, good times, good feels. But I feel like it fits into the indie country mm-hmm. vibe that has now like, like with your Phoebe Bridges and stuff like yeah. that. Definitely in the verses. Yeah, sure. yeah. That's when I heard it for the first, like I was like, oh, this is, this could be that, you mm-hmm. know. Well, the greatness of it as well is the fact that it opens up and it, it starts down there and you're like, oh, this is going to be quite quite a chills country tune. And it almost goes at the end. I feel like it's on the verge of like going somewhere completely different. Like the, everything almost starts to distort mm-hmm. and almost goes to a place where you're like, fuck, like, but it, it kind of holds it there. And I just, I love that. I love the the power at the end of the tune. And actually, I remember when we heard this one live, I remember when it got to the late half of the song being really like struck by the power of it. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear this whole album live. Mm. There's, there's so many interesting parts that happen. Like even here, like there's a, a really big expansive bridge in here. Like it, that's where it feels like it begins to open up. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's exactly it. Yeah. I and I would yeah. just, I just want to be like, I just want to feel, I want to feel it in me. You know, mm-hmm. I want to feel, you know, when you're in a loud space and, and the changes happen, all the the bass drops down even lower and you go, ah, that's what I really need. That whole, that whole sonic experience, like changing all of the atoms or something in your body. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The, the live show is pretty incredible, man. Yeah. It's, um, it's all wrapped in the theme of the album. So the set and everything is really, it's that world that she's creating and you're, you become part of it. Yeah. And it's great. And there's this moment in the middle of the set where all the band come down right to the front and like a big gauze is laid down behind them. So it just becomes a lot more intimate. And they come with like a double bass and acoustic guitars and they just do a couple of songs up front, like butterflies and stuff like that. And it's so beautiful, man. Like this album has, it's just choruses. The choruses in this album are just incredible. It's true. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've had a weird week of sleep this week and every, nearly every time I've woke up in the middle of the night, I've been singing one of these songs in my head. You know, mm-hmm. like when you've got a song in your head and it's like, it's like, yeah, I like you, but also can you fuck off because I'm trying to sleep? Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. that. This is, it, they're so, and again, it's like that, that same thing we've said, there's a lot to be said about simplicity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can, if you only need to hear it a few times, and especially if you just want to hear it on the radio and it immediately clicks with you, how successful is that as a song? It's, it's, it's yeah, amazing. Oh, exactly. Usually, you're guaranteed with this one, aren't you? Yeah. 
And like, I love the, um, like in the chorus, running like a river, trying to find the ocean, flowers in the concrete. Yeah. Like all of that. She's such a visual writer sometimes, even though we talk about it being literal and very storyteller style. Like she does have a good way of painting the picture. It's all about dis- like bringing you into her world, yeah. like I keep well, saying. This is exactly it. And I, I read another quote from her and she said, I've always been really focused on a turn of phrase and wit. And, you know, I love that kind of songwriting. But I think at a certain point, it's kind of, it kind of wears people out. We get it. You can turn a phrase and not everything has to be wrapped up in a lyrical bow. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so funny you said it on this song because I was just like, cool, we've got a, a kind of detachment from the turn of phrase country or the kind of tongue in cheek country. And we've got something that, yeah, it's kind of there's metaphor and there's other things, but I still feel like it's a bit richer than your t- stereotypical yeah. country tune. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But again, I would say that she she almost hit some some tropes on the head but she she manages it really well like she some of the things you know some of these are well-worn phrases you know mm. but sometimes she she twists them enough uh flips them enough around so that they're just not worn in for, you know i know just in researching this album a few different songs came up from other artists male artists in new country i just went back to it and i was like oh man this is not the same it's not like it isn't uh it isn't self-aware in, in the mm. same way that this might be mm. almost. Um, yeah. And even though if you look through a lot of these songs, you go, oh yeah, I've, I've heard that as an expression. I've heard that before. I know what that metaphor means because that's a well-known metaphor and a well-trodden uh, turn of phrase. She is able to, to make that one of her defining features and it not cheapen the whole experience. Yeah. yeah. And, and it keeps the album cohesive because normally if you want to make a cohesive album, you have to sacrifice some of the catchiness and poppiness of it to create the journey. Yeah. So there are a couple of songs in there that have more transitional pieces to keep the narrative of the album going. She's managed to do both. She's managed to give the album a narrative and allow it to exist in a space that she's created without sacrificing any moments. There's no songs that are there just to fill it out or just to help mm-hmm. you move to the next chapter of the story of the album. Yeah. It's all consistent. Yeah. Um, you know, big shout out to Daniel and E and the producers as well, because this song sounds amazing. The arrangements are incredible. Yeah, the hooks sure. are littered throughout. It's just, it really is a brilliant sounding album and such a satisfying piece. Like yeah. I love existing in this world, listening to it with the sun out yesterday was just great. I went for a walk and it just transports you to this world where nothing can really go wrong. Well said Carl. Um, Chris, I don't know if this is the time you're going to mention where she recorded it. Obviously, I absolutely screwed it up earlier. Go for it, if you want to. Well, I can try again, can I? Yeah, please. So it was recorded at Cheryl Crow's place, yeah. right outside of Nashville. That's the one. Um, Casey said, it's like on 55 acres, and it's really wooded and really beautiful. There's an old church on the property, but the recording studio itself is an amazing studio with the best gear imaginable, like all the sick vintage gear. Nice. Yeah. And you can hear it all over the record, can't you? Just... And yeah, and Guinness on tap as well. Uh, oh, how cool was that? Yeah. Fuck. Casey was saying that Cheryl Crow and uh, Cheryl Cole was probably on um, FaceTime. <laughs> uh, Cheryl Crow came over and they had a big chat on existentialism, which, you know, which probably uh, amounts God, to. I'd love to see. She's another one of those people. Who was it I was talking about? Oh, the Staves. Like she's just one of those people I'd love to just sit and chill yeah. with, man. Uh-huh. Yeah, smoke a joint and talk about the world. She also said in the, in the same, might be the same. One of the mornings she was there, she woke up and went for a horse ride with Cheryl Crow. Really? And they, like she had like a paddock with all the horses in there, and she was uh, just getting to the studio, and she was like, "Do you want to come for a horse ride with me?" And they went for this amazing like ride through the woods and stuff, and then th- and she was like, "What an amazing way to start 
Yeah, man. You, know, you, you, you sometimes think about people being contrived in the themes and the genre that they fit into. And you're like, oh, you're just doing that because that's, that's working at the minute. But there's nothing more country than waking up in the studio one day and going for a horse ride with Cheryl. This Crow. is wow. it. Yeah. There's nothing. It doesn't yeah, make no, it no. much more country than no, that. No, you could, I could feel like the biggest prick in the world. But if in, in the morning that's happening to me, I'm like, yes, I'll ride that horse for you, Cheryl. Yeah, <laughs> of absolutely. Course. Yeah, yeah. Have any of you ever ridden a horse? Yeah, you have actually. Yeah, I have, yeah. Have I've you? competed in a few Jim Carners. <laughs> <laughs> and if you'd like to buy Charlie's album about that, you can get <laughs> yeah. no, I had, um, If you'd like to buy Charlie's range of dressage gear. Yeah, yeah. Would... <laughs> I had one of the gnarliest wipeouts of my life. Uh, can you call it a gnarly wipeout I think on a horse? You do, yeah. I think, I think literally in the Grand National, they normally shout, oh, he's a gnarly <laughs> wipeout. Yeah. Yeah. So Adam, um, what, was the, what was the height of the waves that you were, you were riding on this? Uh, well, I'll tell you the height of the branch. <laughs> Go on. Oh, so well, I was cruising through the woods. Did you get clotheslined? I was cruising through the woods on my... Uh, Faithful steed. And um, I remember I was at the stage where I was like taking it for a sweet canter through the woods. Good. And um, I was absolutely gunning it. Again, I believe that's a phrase that you use. It's a technical regularly. term, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, it goes um, canter, gallop, gunning. <laughs> <laughs> so I was gunning it through the woods. And um, yeah, they can go pretty fast. Mm. And then all of a sudden, uh, Branch just completely closed like me off the horse. Oh, it was terrible. And you know, you're locked into your spoon. You're not locked in, but you've got your feet in the stirrup. So like I got clothesline, but I didn't come off the horse. I just went straight on the back. Like Sorry, were you, were you in a comedy, a, a, a cowboy comedy film? No. Uh, was it Carry On, was it carry it, on Cowboy? Was it Blazing Saddles? It you, was, yeah, it was. <laughs> Did you feel a little bit like spaced out and delirious? I had a little burger in my head. Did take, you? Take what we needed. You needed to pick up a guitar and write some spacey cowboy shit. I did. I did you. <laughs> I lost it a bit there. This is track seven, Space Cowboy. Track seven, Space Cowboy, the first single from the album, along with Butterflies, released 23rd of February 2018, went on to win another Grammy for Best Country Song at the 61st Ceremony in 2019. That double A side then, is that what, you, is that what we're talking? Is that uh, what? Lead tracks, yeah. So they both came out on the same day, I think. Okay. I suppose, yeah. Well, they, they did, yeah. yeah. They actually did. They just throw them out on the streamers now, I suppose. The yeah. streamers. Yeah. There's your, uh, there's your classic Nashville track, though. Oh, in beautiful. Sense, lyrically. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is this is part of my problem, but I don't really want to lead with this. Actually, go for it, man. Have you ever heard the Bo Burnham track where he's doing the country song? Yeah, I have. You showed me. I think is he a comedian? Yeah, Yeah. like a Weird Al Yankovic kind of thing. Well, it's not Weird Al Yankovic, but could you not do what he does with any genre though? Essentially, no, because no, no, you couldn't. Mm. Because I've got the lyrics here. Oh, okay. A lot of these lyrical themes are addressed for example the first verse of the cowboy parody from bo burnham and he, he also respects uh legit uh, country artists he does say that at the start of his his bit but it's more like the male centric and, and also in that rupaul interview that i talked about earlier she goes on about this as well and i've got a bit about all of that in a minute as well good we'll, we'll do about that anyway 
But what I find interesting is that, for example, that song, that Bo Burnham uh, comedy song, the first verse is a dirt road, a cold beer, blue jeans, a red pickup. That's the first few lines. A rural noun, simple adjective. Like he, he outlines these tropes, mm-hmm. right? And I wrote just as an experiment, and I just wrote country bingo on this song. Cowboy boots, fences, four by fours, sunsets, horses, gold rush, good guys, bad guys, open roads, and there ain't enough room for the both of us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So all of those are ticked off in this, right? Mm-hmm. And sorry, I said it, I led it as if it was a problem. It's not a problem, but I just found it interesting that for the most part of this album, I don't f- feel like we necessarily fall into that, uh, that those categories. The predictability of yeah, injury. Yeah, but this one really doubles down on it. But... I feel like the purpose of this song is that this character, this cowboy, they're not a space cowboy. That's what's also interesting about this. Uh, the lyrical content of this is that she's saying you can have your space, comma, cowboy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I feel like she's assigning these things to that person almost. Like all of these, all of those words and tropes and stereotypes are being assigned to that person almost. Yeah. And that's where I feel like the twist is on this song, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not, so I don't mean it's necessarily a negative, but I, it, I just find it fascinating that she can get away with it. Is, yeah, is more I hear bigger you. picture. I hear you. I think you nailed it though. Like there's the, the kind of masculine dominated country vibe, and I, I listen to uh, two playlists on Spotify quite regularly, which is regularly. I think I put in like a few more. You did. There's a couple of more hours. Right. That. I'll, I'll do that. Um, Very nearly Nashville and Hot Country, which are like the two kind of big playlist on new country music and some of the tunes are that come out are mad you know it will start what you mean what you mean yeah well that's um, how I go. <laughs> yeah. but like it literally it literally starts yeah. in that same way and yeah. you go cool but i don't feel like casey can be no, and i know no, you're no, not saying this yeah that's what it's exactly what i mean and i'm being defensive as fuck aren't i because <laughs> no, i no, love no, this album no. but no. i just don't feel and i know i know the relevance of bringing it up but i'm like when you listen to those playlists you're like that's what they're taking the piss out of. Yeah. But it's interesting because there's tradition in country, right? Tr- country's such a tr- traditional genre. Yeah. In its storytelling, its images, its kind of, its place in the world. Yeah. And so I feel like those things are going to come up again and again. Mm. No, it exists for a reason, yeah. I'm sure. But I guess like, it's strange that it has it's a genre that is that specific. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what we what we don't get in this country as much is that country music in America is an incredibly huge genre, isn't it? It's like... The biggest in the world. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like, um, Garth Brooks is the highest selling artist of all time. Really? Got, really? So That's mental. So we, I'd never have even... I'd never have guessed his name. Never have guessed that. Ever. I would have never pulled that name out of a hat. So that's what we, that's what we miss. That I guess some of these artists are, who are at the top of that tree probably mostly the male artists, I mm. guess, are, you know, making the money from this genre, I guess, mm. you know. Yeah. I got, I got a good uh, quote here from Casey about how she found the, have you read this? No, no. The, how she found the influence for this song. Um, she said, one day I was out at the barn watching the stallion charging powerfully from one end to the other, uh, bucking and galloping at full speed all alone. Though I was safe on the other side of the arena wall, it kind of scared me when he came flying towards me, barely stopping in time. My riding teacher saw this and saw him coming at me and yelled to me, move away. I said, I'm fine. The gate is closed. To which she said, I'll, I'll just try this in Nashville, shall I? Girl, 
Is this right? <laughs> no, try it. When they want to go, they'll go. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, Nashville. There ain't, right? no, there ain't no point shutting the gate. Um, and go. she said it really made a mark on her and she wrote it down. So there she was, she was, that, that animal became the cowboy yeah, in question. Exactly. Yeah. So she was at the, at the arena or whatever where they keep the horses. And one of the horses, I think, had been kept in, locked in all day, was really pissed off about that, was running around, kicking off, and then it ran towards Casey. I see. And she said, um, give it some space. So let's move on to track eight, which is called Happy and Sad. Track eight, happy and sad. And now I, I really like that one. I think this is again with the confessionalist style of the of the album and talking about that existentialism again. It's like it's easy to get into the space where you're like, you know what, everything's actually beautiful and the world's really great and everything's fine. But when you're in that space, doubt starts to creep in. Whenever you're in a situation in your life where you're like, you know, man, everything's great, everything's going really well. I love this. I'm so happy. You're like, how long is this gonna last? It's the human brain is a bastard, isn't it? Because it's it's when you're on a winning streak and you're feeling like that, you're mm. like, you, it's so annoying that 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 does creep in at some stage, doesn't it? Totally. It always fucking and you does. stop enjoying it because you worry you start worrying then about exactly. how to keep hold of it, and you spend most of your time grasping it instead of enjoying it. I always get it, and I know it's kind of different, but just before I go on tour, if it's a really good good tour that's coming, and it's like we're going to Japan for a few weeks, and then we're going to America, I will be so excited. And the night before I travel, I go. I just find worry. I find worry about some part of it. And I'm mm. always like, fuck's sake. I get it more when I get back. When I get back and I, and I reminisce about what's just happened and I'm like, man, we just did an amazing tour, traveled the world. What if I never get to do that again? Did I enjoy it enough? Did I mm. take advantage enough of all the places I've just been? What if I never literally leave this house again? And then mm. I'm like, oh fuck, I need to make the most of it next time. Mm. And the next time you're trying too hard to make the most of it and you're like, well, was I thinking too much? And that's the same with life. That's That echoes sure. through everything we do. Slightly different scale, but if you're ever at a live gig that isn't one that you're playing at or managing at or, or whatever it is, do you ever get nervous on the artist's behalf? Always. I hate it. Man, but I, I think that's a crossover from being in the industry where, like, if you know what time the set's supposed to start, right? I can start feeling the nervous energy. So I'll be like, if the headline is due on at 9 p.m. or something, at 8.59, I'm like, everyone backstage is going to be on fucking tenterhooks right now <laughs> oh. waiting for this to happen. And I get nervous on their behalf, definitely. And I can like look at the front of house engineer in the, at the desk and he's like fucking like, okay, right, is everything ready? Here we go. Is everything going to work? I get that kind of nerves. Right. So I guess that doesn't really reflect what you were saying because you were like outside of the industry. Well, no, but, but maybe, maybe, you know, maybe that's what it is. You know, I've, I've had to play a gig before, so I guess I, I know what that well, feels you, you like. Get it. You've, you've talked yeah. with us as well. Yeah. So maybe it's, you know, I just find that interesting. Sometimes it annoys me. So I'm, I'll be looking at the stage and be like, why am I getting nervous? I'm really here. here yeah. I'm just here to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You, you're ever the empire. Anyway, this song for me, like Space Cowboy is actually the bit of the album that I connect with the least. Mm -hmm. They, to me, they encompass a traditional or, or one of the most traditional parts of the, um, of, of country that I, don't have much interest in, I I'm think. I'm with you on this tune. Yeah, yeah. I think it's quite throwaway, really. I like that at the, the start we have the electronic drums. Like, mm -hmm. 
in my head, it's Cheryl Crow or Alanis Morissette. Those two, those two in my head always cross over. I always get confused between Alanis Morissette and Cheryl Crow. I know and they're Cheryl really, Cole. and Cheryl Cole. <laughs> I know they're really, really different. Um, but that's what I hear in there—that big '90s influence on there. But otherwise, I feel like you know, it's a, yeah. The, the most interesting thing about this that I found was I just looked up if there was a word for happy and sad. That was mm. oh, nice. I did too, um, because what we do talk about a lot in this podcast is nostalgia mm-hmm. and when you look up happy and sad nostalgia often comes up a longing mm-hmm. for a thing or a longing for a place i mean it is i think it's i think we established that it's a longing for a place i think is what nostalgia actually is mm-hmm. um but there is a word for this um in it's in portuguese and it's untranslatable apparently and it's saudage and that's saudage. it's got two di- sa- it's spelt saudad but it's pronounced saudage i believe Okay. And it's the feeling of longing, melancholy, desire, and nostalgia that is characteristic of the Brazilian and Portuguese temperament. It describes a deep emotional state, a yearning for a happiness that has passed or perhaps never even existed. And that's what that word means. We need a word for that. Really yeah. Too. Yeah. But Let's make one up now. what I did find, because it's supposed to be untranslatable, but there's an equi- sort of an equivalent in Welsh and Cornish, so in the Celtic language, which is hiraeth, which means <gasps> a very similar thing. What? Okay, now. Uh-oh, what's this? I've got a link to a past life that I lived. So I used to go on tour with a comedian called Max Boyce, Welsh guy. Yeah. He was, he's a massive man in Wales. He's about fucking, he's about 70 years old. Lovely dude. Welsh comedian. Sold out every night. National treasure, you know, love the, love the rugby and all that. And he would talk, he would introduce, he had a song called Hereith, and he would introduce it. And he would literally talk exactly about what you just said. No way. It's a word that literally doesn't have a translation into English. But it talks about the longing for a time and a place, and it's called Here I. Th- if if it's out there on Spotify, or whatever, we'll link to it. But that has just thrown wow. me thrown <laughs> right. No way! There. there you the, go. The first tour I ever did in my life was in a transit van around Wales with Max Boyce. There you go. Look, look at that for tying up some loose ends. Yeah. There you go. Look at that. Fucking hell. Look at that for nostalgia yeah. too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, the here fact I th- that it's yeah. Well, there you go. Feeling here very here right right now. Wow. Got a bit of might here right in me. Uh, might get a little tat of that or something. Ooh. I reckon was not. Yeah, was might not, ink myself. Might ink myself on that one. Um, yeah, that was that is. I wasn't expecting that. I will say as well though on this song, um, because in Space Cowboy there is a key, there's a key change in there which is there is the. I mean, it's just literally it's like I forgot to mention that, but it stays till the end. Yeah, the last chorus. Yeah, is changed. but what happens in that song is everyone just goes. They get to the end of the the, the bar and they go right. Rule up in a key change, but there's a key change in this song as well, which is a lot less obvious because it changes. I think it changes through the bridge. I'm mm. Trying to think where it is exactly. Well, what it's it's one of those things again where, be, because it's through the the changes of the chords, you just notice a little bit of an unease almost. Is it right at the end of the bridge when she's like holding that last? It note? probably starts at the beginning of the bridge. I would assume. Again, um, dear listeners, uh, we're very much not the best at this i think uh, i'm certainly not but um the key change i assume would come within some of the the chords at the start or the there'll be a chordal shift at the start of the bridge and then you only notice the key change because you return to the key mm-hmm. pa- the other uh, chord structure huh. that is familiar but there is a key change in here which yeah. which you don't notice as as easily as space cowboy is, I, d- is I didn't notice the key change in this at yeah all. the one in exactly. space cowboy i literally yeah. just well, yeah because everyone just goes Shall we change? Should we go up a tone or something? And or never come back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Did, did he hear Casey talk about the, um, in that Zay Lowe interview, she mentioned it a lot. She was like, we got some modulation in this album. We've yeah. got a few spots. And she, I think she said that 
Space Cowboy, maybe I can't remember oh, yeah. really, was the hardest one to sing because of the, because of the, it's an immediate immediate yeah. Yeah. change up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like I said about this one, it's uh, it's nice, but it's it's not uh, a heavy hitter for me on the album. Personally. Yeah, fair enough. Let's move on. This is track nine, Velvet Elvis. With a good laugh, jet black sparkle in his eye, you're my velvet Elvis. I ain't never gonna take you down, making everybody jealous. When you step into my house, soft to the touch, feels like love. Do it as soon as I felt it. You're my velvet Elvis, baby. I don't really care. That was track nine, Velvet Elvis. So, Chris Bunt. Yes, Carl. You mentioned earlier in the episode the word kitsch. Mm-hmm. So this song, Velvet Elvis, did you read about this? Uh, well, I didn't realize that's what you're talking about, but I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah, so Velvet Elvis is a type of painting. Mm-hmm. It's a big thing in country world and in Texas where like people would have these up in the houses. Like not, not tacky, but like a painting of Elvis that's like velvet to touch and it's on jet black velvet. It's kitsch. And did you look in the origins of kitsch and different types of kitsch art? Oh, no, I actually, I didn't, but I just trailed back on the old Velvet Elvis thing and, and saw some of that. But you keep going, you keep going, I want to hear it. So kitsch, you remember like when you go to the pub and like in old classic pubs, you'd see like above the pool table would be a, a painting of like dogs playing pool and smoking mm, yeah, cigars. Of course. Well, that's kitsch. That's a type of kitsch art as well. And this uh, Velvet Elvis falls into that category. So this song, although it's obviously referring to someone as... It's like, you're my Velvet Elvis is like, you're my thing. I like, you're my prized possession. You're my kind of thing that I like. And I don't want to take you down off the wall kind of thing. And then later on in the song, you've got the line, I don't care about the Mona Lisa. I need a Graceline kind of man that's always on my mind. So she's like, I don't want someone who is the best and most expensive priceless piece of art of all time. I want someone who's my kind of tacky at my level, right. Velvet Elvis. And obviously saying a man that's always on my mind is a throwback to Elvis Presley's You Were Always On My Mind. So oh, has, that passed me by, yeah. yeah. So it has some tie But then she's, that. yeah, because she's kind of literally talking about the, the Velvet Elvis painting then, mm-hmm. isn't she? Because she says, uh, I ain't never going to take you down, make everyone jealous. When you step into my house, soft to the touch, feels like love. Yeah, so it's, it's all so, about that Velvet painting. Yeah, it's all about that painting. But she's just using it as a way to describe that other person. I like it. She says, go out with you in powder blue and tease my hair up high. So Elvis Presley famously donned the powder blue bodysuit that he would wear. For a long period of time, he would always wear powder blue. And um, Priscilla Presley would always famously wear her hair teased up really high. She'd have like massive, like um, like huge hair. If you Google her, you can see the pictures of her hair, just massive. So it's teased my hair up high. So it's always like, yeah, she's using Elvis Presley and Priscilla as a way of. As her, her archetype to aim for. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 She, her and her band that she were dressed in powder blue for one of the performances of this, I think on. Oh yeah. It was on uh, James Corden. I think. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's exactly where it was. Yeah. I did see that. Now, Elvis, right? Yeah. Considering he was one of the most popular artists of all time, you don't really meet anyone called Elvis, do you? I've never met I've someone. never met an Elvis. And we've been to Texas a lot. And like, you'd think that maybe that's just the nucleus of it. You'd find a lot of people in Texas called Elvis, but I've never met an Elvis. I wasn't expecting that as, a, as a point, but no, you, you're actually right. I've never yeah. met one, man. There's only another one, which is Elvis Costello, really, isn't there? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Is there, are there any more Elvises? Mm. Elvi, Elvi, maybe that is, is that the uh, collective noun? Yeah, yeah. I, so. well, sorry, is that what is the collective noun for Elvis? Um, uh, um, a plonker of Elvises. No, a um, kitsch of Elvises. Hey, 
Yeah. A kitchen of Elvis's. Yeah, kitchen kitchen, of Elvis's, yeah that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what I was thinking. Um, the groove flipping does it for me in this track. It's great, yeah. This is more my, up my street as well. And I think last week we were talking about uh, some weak old snares and the snare in this is so rich and deep and mm-hmm. delicious. Yeah. And her vocals as well, the way her vocals are, are mixed and got that real tight slap back delay on it. Yeah. It's uh, it's a, a, a really new, That's this sounds again like a new sound on the album to me. Yeah, I had that in my notes as well, like the tape delay, saturated slap delay on the vocals and those super wide guitars, like the guitars mm. are panned so wide where she just sits in the middle in this, again, all, all in that massive space. Bloody lush. We were talking about the bass, weren't we? Do you remember we were looking yeah. at um, a video earlier? That one? It was. It was. It was that, that one. one, actually, yeah. I didn't say fucking you. <laughs> she didn't say fucking you. I didn't say fucking ye when we were watching that. that that's yeah. what this was. And the bass tone as well. And I, just the, the bass. It's mad. It's, it's, a great, like, it's a great strut in this song, you know? It's mm. like. It is. it is a strut. Yeah. yeah. You're right. It is it's a like strut. One, it's just. It's just like da 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 da. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. If it's a vacation. Get a little go on my uh, velvet that was painting. Get a load of Elvises, we call them a kitchen. Nice. See what I did there? Fucking yeah. hell. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? And so, let's make a move on to track 10, which is called Wonder Woman. Track 10, Wonder Woman. So it feels like this one is some kind of relationship acknowledgement stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like the brand new relationship, everything's fine, honeymoon period, everything's looking good. And it's just letting the other person know that it's not always going to be this way. And that person isn't perfect and they don't want to be held on that pedestal for too long so that they feel like they can't move or feel like they can't make any mistakes. I think that's where the whole, I'm not Wonder Woman and Lasso the Truth Out to You is a reference to Wonder Woman because she has the Lasso of Truth, isn't she? That's yeah, I was thing. looking this up because I didn't know this. I didn't know that she was a, well, if she, whether or not she is a cowgirl or not, right? Mm. Wonder Woman. But in looking that up, the new Wonder Woman film with Gal Gadot, I don't, I don't actually know how to say her last name. I think it's Gadot. With Gal Gadot, uh, who was playing Wonder Woman. That's now on display in the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame in oh, really? Fort Worth in Texas, which okay. would lead me to believe then that Wonder Woman was a cowpoke. I don't a know. What? A cowpoke? Have you never What's heard of cowpoke? cowpoke? Have you never heard of the term cowpoke? What's that? Well, it's just a cow hand, I suppose. <laughs> there is What's no such hand? thing as a cow hand, surely. Uh, sorry, uh, cow steward. How's that? I'm not. Oh, crikey. I'm fucking going home, man. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we're not cowboys or girls over it's here. Pretty right? rough, we, we, pretty what? rough gig, that. Isn't yeah, it? no, it's cowpools, isn't it? Cowpools, <laughs> like people, but cowpool. My, oh, fa- not... my favorite childhood medicine. Yeah, that's what I thought you meant—the purple cowpool. You know that they um, had to stop you. They have had to change the, how much sugar was in that. Oh, because it was wonderful, wasn't it? Mm, delicious. Yeah, no, I used to fucking love it. Yeah. Should we have a glass now? Shot <laughs> each of cowpool as a treat. As yeah, a treat. as a treat. 
Um, I felt like this song is a real release. It's it, not that the album has built much tension, but I just feel like it's a lovely dreamscape of kind of love. And mm. I love the way it starts and the way it, it just feels like a, a release for me in mm. the album. It hits all the right beats. It's a classic, well-written pop song, purposely making all the right pop song moves, the right changes and the right points. It's just, yeah, perfect. There's no way you're not really going to enjoy this song, like it, maybe not. There's people who aren't going to like it. But in terms of being able to enjoy it, it's one of those songs that's undeniably a well-written pop song. Well, um, I was going to say, I feel like the chorus is reminiscent of our earlier work, but I think that the verses feel a lot more, a lot less whimsical than perhaps her earlier records. I don't know if you've listened to any of her previous albums. I'm quite a big fan of a lot of her earlier stuff anyway. But the verses, I love what the verses are talking about. I love the lyrics in the verses, but the chorus does feel um, a bit more whimsical, a bit more, I don't want to say throw away but certainly you know i don't think it's that it's lyrically as intellect as the verses she does play into the cowboy theme and the country theme with the kind of rhinestones and tassels and all that country style just like lil nas x did with his crossover it's like it's over the top country yeah and that's why i think you know sometimes it can come across as whimsical and sometimes it can come across as insincere if you will but that's because there has to be that juxtaposition to make it a pop crossover. Sure. Has to be predictable in some ways yeah. so that people, so that can, it can remain country whilst being a crossover record. All right then, let's move on. This is track 11, High Horse. That was track 11, High Horse. Absolute gem. Banger. Do you know what, man? I didn't like this when I first heard it. Mm-hmm. But, I'm, not, I'm not really a disco guy, I don't but, think. But, but, but it's, it's so good, isn't it? It's isn't so it just, good. Isn't it just? It's so good. It's undeniable. It's hard to, it's hard to not love it. It's, and it can be a hate to love thing as well. Like just you saying the disco thing, that ties into a point I was going to get to. Talking about that interview again that you mentioned earlier, Charlie, with uh, Zane Lowe. She's talking about it and she says that she was on a huge Bee Gees kick while she was making this whole album. Checks out, yeah. And she wondered what might have happened if she mixed like Saturday Night Fever icons with the sound of country music. So that's where this song kind of came from. So you're right on the nose with disco there. Well, uh, this is the weird thing about country music for me in this sort of country music is it probably works best like this. Country, Country music is so like, is so camp really mm-hmm. isn't yeah. it oh hugely. yeah yeah for sure so well, this is this is yeah but i mean this is apart from like when you go back to like like jolene and stuff is yeah not, but yeah but even you know but even that hasn't has a little bit of you know that's self-deprecating and has some humor in it and 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 bitter realism in it and stuff like that mm. and i don't know this this just works it's almost like it's the john the genre that's disco supposed to be with yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna cram two genres together it might as well be country. Yeah, I mean, it works. It, this works impe- impeccably well. Yeah, it really it does. does. Yeah, there's there's a reason that she she played this on a lot of major TV appearances because it was her it was her crossover track. Right, and I think the label were aware of it. She was aware of it. 
it just it just bridged that gap between like a ma- a major audience that she hadn't like tapped into. into yeah tapped into and this, it's the most pop of the crossovers it's the most pop sure. leaning song of the crossovers but this could easily be like this could be like a Kylie Minogue song hugely well she, when like, Kylie Minogue did a country crossover album didn't she so I don't know you, not, have you not I've, heard that I'm not no. part of a um, I'm not the fan club I, well I'm part of the fan club and I had the pleasure of playing the country album. Exactly. Oh, did and, you uh, actually did you I do played that? Played a too? few tracks. I uh, played her two new singles off that album at Buckingham Palace, yes. and it was uh, Fuck yourself, but it was man. so fun. And Kylie Minogue going country, and it was so fun to play. Country Minogue, country, country Minogue, yeah. Um, I pulled an interesting YouTube comment on this, which I thought was quite cool. So someone had commented on the video saying, "Never ever since the song You're So Vain." Has a song had such ego-stripping no, power? I f- is that what they said? I fucking wrote here. Actually, an interestingly disguised takedown of someone who thinks they're hot shit. Easily missed when disguised as a disco number. See, you're so vain. That's really? what I wrote. Wow. Was it you in the comments? It, you maybe I, maybe you, I got in drunk one night and wrote that. Are you Sexy Boy 613? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but it is the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it's that. It says, never never since that song has, has a song had such an ego-stripping power. Well, that's, that's because of verse two, and this is what I backed it up with. I bet you think your first place, yeah, someone should give you a ribbon. I love, I lo- I love how mm. like... Yeah, it's like, so patronizing. Yeah, yeah, so patronizing. Have you watched the video for it? Yeah. 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 Video's yeah, yeah. good. Did you notice the little kind of Easter eggy thing in there? Because you can you can imagine like uh, in a an interview I, I read, she's talking about, she doesn't want to give away who it's about, but she has her ideas of who it might be about. My theory is Donald Trump after watching the well, video. Yeah, he's, in the, he's on the TV screen. He's on the he? TV, yeah. yeah. She like walks into that karaoke bar and there's like, I think Donald Trump's on the TV and she goes and switches the TV over to the screen, which would be the karaoke version of her song and then she's there with all her friends like singing her song but i think if you froze the frame the donald trump on the tv is actually her dressed as donald trump right is it actually yeah her? well it looks Ooh. like it. i don't know that for a fact it just okay. looks like it also one of the only performances i've noticed where she's not with a guitar on this video uh no oh, all live. the live performances oh, really? oh, she, she gen generally has a guitar on her mm. oh yeah because she's like bouncing around the stage with this one, yeah, isn't she? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. with the shoes off it was interesting to see actually i was like whoa yeah it's cool man it's it's a great song it's it's such a such a banger um also in the video did you notice the microphone she's holding so the microphone looks fucking huge when she's holding it like massive and i think what they've done is gotten like a microphone which is quite thick to begin with and then bought the biggest rhinestones they could possibly find and glued them to the mic. Wow, you have and, to. And in the end, the microphone looks fucking massive if you go back and watch it. You have Intentional to. Intentional or not, I don't know. Anyway. She's just trying to camp it up like Dolly, you know? And, and doing a great job, man. Yeah, you know? no, right. It no, exists in a space. When I close my eyes and think of this album, I think pink and blue because of the cover. I think cowboy hats, tassels, rhinestones, and fucking good times. It, is, it really yeah. does. It, it is. It, it is. Good. But there's so much. I, honestly, I, I, it, I don't know why I didn't get it straight away. I think I was just predetermined to not like it be f- for disco, for disco's sake. But that's everyone. That's this yeah. album in general for yeah. everyone. You watch the YouTube comments and they're like, I hate country music, but I love this album. Yeah. I never thought I'd like this kind of music. I'm a trap fan and now I'm listening to this album mm. back to back. It's like, it did change a lot of people's minds in yeah. terms of the genre and the songs on it. So she did a great job, man. But the sounds in it in general, like th- that guitar, like just the guitar in the verse, that sort mm. of plucky acoustic guitar, mm pokes right through the drums are real drums from what i can tell they're yeah. not they're not like a programmed drum beat or anything like that you've got the tremolo guitar and violin double double up that happens at the start of the chorus um it's just it's just so good it's just so fun and 
it's good to like get to that point where like all of the like it's no holds barred everything's off like all bets are off everyone just goes for it and it's, yeah for sure uh, it's it's so much fun it's so much fun absolutely now let's climb it back into the general theme of the album with track 12 which is the title track called golden hour Track 12, Golden Hour. Quite the sentimental song for all of us, I guess. This it, was the first dance at Charlie's wedding. It was, Chaz, wasn't it? Performed in the flesh by Chris Bunt. Hello. And the rest of the lads. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Ahead, Mike Griffiths. I feel like I was really sober and they were really drunk, but we um, we had a good smack at it. It was a big day, man. Fucking mm. hell, that song is hard anyway, and I've never been more nervous in my life. I've played enough gigs in my time, but... Who we boy playing for you was uh, was a really scary one. It was one of the best days ever. It was one of the best times ever, of course, man. Of course, it was. It was insane. And that day, that whole day was crazy. Like, yeah, yeah. It was such such debauchery at the end. Where, where by the time we got into the band, oh mate, never never ever seen one like that before. Everyone was hammered, slipping around on pasties oh. in love. Everyone was snogging. Everyone was kissing each other. It was fucking great. Yeah, it was a silly one. That it was. It was. Let's lovely, have another one tonight. Lovely. All right. All right. All right. We'll do it again tonight. I do. I do just love it. And like to, to, to have that as my first dance, me and AC's first dance, and then to have your best mates play the song as well. It was pretty amazing. Of course. One of the best days ever, man. In the best settings ever as well. And obviously that song will be forever sentimental to all of us. Mm -hmm. And even more so now, because we had some really good news today as well. So we did have some, we're not going to tell you about it. Yeah, we, we won't some... tell you what it is, but we had some good news. This is for us to remember it by. Exactly. Yes. This is purely just in as a timestamp for us to look back in the future and be like, oh, remember we found out that news and referred to it on the podcast so we could go back and look at it later in the future. That's it. That's what that is. Anyway, so back in right. the room. So the song, Golden Hour, referring to that time of day of which there are two. It's as the sun first rises at its lowest point in the sky when that golden kind of shine goes across everything photographers love it it's a big thing in photography to, to shoot landscape photography or outdoor portrait photography first thing in the morning or last thing at dusk it gives the best lighting it's very flat and very um mm. very nice so there's that but she was also born and raised in a place called golden she in was Texas. amazing she was amazing. so a nice kind of juxtaposition metaphorical blending of the two yeah again if you go to that rupaul interview they talk about it because uh, it's just off of um, Highway 69 also. So they talk, you know, you've got the, and they say when it rains, well, make your own joke, I suppose. Rains, 69, golden. You oh, I see. Together, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Piss on each other, yeah? That, yes, everyone's pissing on each other, Carl. I was trying right. not to, oh. not to ramp golden it down. Golden <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit, look at that. Charlie, you've just ruined it all now. Yep, there goes yeah. our sentimental yeah. song. Cute. But isn't it, a, isn't it a gorgeous song? Nice and... Just so like so nicely paced and just relaxed. It's what I imagine is when when you found that person and like the whole the whole feel of it and the whole um, sentiment of, of it. It just feels like like a, a big sigh of relief and like settle a settlement and and that sort of thing. I just think it's. I think you've just literally you've yeah. nailed it. Yeah, but nailed it. it. And it I, I think something that I've never thought of before is actually when you say it's kind of got this relaxed feel to it. 
And it's funny, isn't it? A lot of really beautiful songs do this kind of thing, but it has this tempo yeah. and this feel to it. The way the drums are played, the way the guitars played in, everything's delicate and relaxed and at peace. Yeah. And it's just... That's a perfect song for me, this. Add Peace is the best way to describe it. This whole album, I'm almost jealous of how content she sounds. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I genuinely can't remember the last time I felt that way, where it's like just absolutely content, happy, and at peace with everything going on mm. in the world. And like we've referred to differently, this is her finding out, like becoming connected with the world, becoming connected with happiness and life and just enjoying the moment. And this, in this case, with another person. And it's just, it's, it's a real beautiful song. And the placement on the album as we start to wind down now, is just great. And isn't that interesting using that? I was just thinking like having that as the title track of the album, but it being placed there, you know, putting that on on a track 12 is quite an interesting spot, isn't it? Don't you think? Yeah. Like, well, I mean, you can't help but tie into the imagery because Golden Hour, like I said, happens at two times a day, but most commonly is referred to as the dusk part of the day. Oh, so you... So golden hour would be, oh, the, okay. would be so like six, seven. So PM. you're actually placing golden hour just before the sunset, just before the sun's gone down, which is the last song. Which is, is the last we, song. Oh, I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't thought about it. Like I'm just that. kind of thinking of it because it could easily be the last song. Yeah. And so the, in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, this is maybe her putting it right at the dusk spot of the album. Right. Okay. I hadn't thought about it like that. Um, but I did pull a quote from her actually, which kind of ties in a bunch of the things we've been saying so far. So she says, golden hour just seemed to sum up this chapter of my life perfectly. I mean, not only am I from a town called Golden in Texas, but leading up to making this record, there's been a lot of beauty in, the, in my atmosphere and in my world. I love the picture that pops into my head when I hear that title. It's an actual song on the record, but it's just this warm golden feeling that I'm really happy to have in my life. And I found it to be the perfect title for the record. So it's again, it's like, I think the reason she called it this was because that word and that saying and that feeling, like when I think of Golden Hour, I do think of that warm sun on your skin, it is just that. as the sun's yeah. about to go down, that smell of um, petrichor that you yeah. talk about. It's that perfect time of day. Like whenever I think about driving in the car with the windows down and all that stuff, it always it's always that time of day where I fantasize about. It's hard to feel shit in that time. Yeah. Isn't it? mm. It's very hard. You know, the shit. image that immediately comes to me just when I'm in the room with you, you remember when we were in Cornwall last year, you know, when we we're on the beach. Uh, mm. And we were eating those pizzas. Oh and, man, yeah. yeah. And Jake got a load of sand in his pizza. And, his yeah. pizza and that photo that I put up recently. It's that. It's yeah. That. And, and we're all carrying each other around in our backs as yeah. the sun went down. And then. yeah, and, and, and you know, there's something about that when the sun is at that level. And it's almost like, gla- when you look at the sun at that point, it's uh-huh. almost glaring right at you. It's like bathing you in all of it. And mm-hmm. it's such a such an amazing feeling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and especially when it's warm as well, when, you, when you've just got enough warmth. For it's, sure. It's, yeah, what, what an amazingly relaxed feeling that is to have well represented in the song it's yeah it's a beautiful song really shoulders the whole album nicely ready to go into into the, the last track i think 100 percent, man it's a song that will mean a lot to us forever because of all the memories we've attached to it and yeah a beautifully well written song and got to be one of my favorites on the album so let's move on to the last track which is track 13 a song called rainbow but you're stuck out in the same old storm again to your umbrella well darling i'm just trying to tell you that there's always been a rainbow hanging over your head track 13 
Rainbow. Whew. Get your tissues out. Yeah. 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 Man. That's a that's a real one that. There's so there's so little that needs saying about this song, but so much to that you could say. Yeah. It's so beautiful. This is how I imagine when I was a kid, if I was told how to write a song, this is what yeah. a song would come out like. This is it. But yeah. like I listen to it again and again and I'm like, it's just a piano and vocal, but how can it be this good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so like, I don't understand how it can be this good. Like you talked about uh, in a previous episode about the song True Colors. Yeah. Oh no, I, I already thought about this song sure. with that. Actually. Yeah. yeah. This to me is going to be as timeless as that. I think it will fit forever yeah. and I think it will always be yeah. as poignant. Like where it's placed and also the way it's recorded, everything. It's everything I want from a conclusion, quite literally. Mm. Yeah, fair. That's, that's um, a good way of putting it. Yeah. The way that she strips it back to just her and the piano and is incredibly vulnerable on it. So you talk about that. You just mentioned that again. Um, so her and the piano. Did you hear about how they recorded this one? Yeah, tell us about that, Albin. So when they were doing the studio sessions for this and they were recording the rest of the tracks, every single night in the studio, they would, before they left, they would turn all the lights down and do a take of this. So they would all get around the piano and play it and sing it and record it. And then when it came to cutting the record, they would listen back to all the different takes they'd done over all the different months of recording and pick the one that they thought was the best performance there and then played live and put it on the record. Mm. So this is one of many performances. But I love that idea of like after a long day's work, everyone's warmed up, turn the lights down, glass of red wine, and just play it and pick which one. Yeah, this is this is almost like your, your debriefing of the whole, like you develop a familiarity then to this song. Mm. If, if, if at the end of every session you're just going, right, remember we've just got to go back and play Rainbow, just need to do it once. Let's all just chill out. We, we know exactly what we're doing. I bet you this was one of the earlier ones. It's always is. It's like yeah, you, can, so you can talk and play your way out of it. You, what do you mean earlier is in written earlier? Earlier versions of I it. I think this because oh, obviously. Oh, I see. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Say, say so? they did a hundred takes of it, let's say, or whatever, in terms of sessions. I think this would be one of the earlier why you, ones. Why do you say that? Because it always is, I man. Totally it's like, agree. I totally agree with you, Carl. Yeah. When you get to pre-record something, you'll do five takes, and generally one of the first two will be what's used. But when you play something live and it has to happen there and then, generally always the best you can right. Can I give you my quick theory on that because it's really boring but I'm going to keep this really short. I reckon when you're nervous and you're in a performance zone the first two takes are really scary but I believe that you do this thing with the adrenaline that if you think about time mm. when you're really nervous I feel like your brain's working faster so you almost like subdivide time down. So what feels like you might not have been playing the right spot or it wasn't emotional enough because you were like I was rushing this or I wasn't feeling this. Mm. You would, your brain was just working faster. So when you actually listen back to it, you're like, sounds incredible. So you mean you've got more ability to nail it because you're, because you're, you're able to access the smaller. Yeah. But I also think you're fresher in your raw, raw emotion. When you, when you get too comfortable, sometimes being too comfortable isn't a good thing. Well, of course. And yeah. you can overthink things and overplay yeah. things. And yeah, you just get too much time in your own head to think about it. But that's a guess. Yeah. This could have been the last one they ever did. Knows. <laughs> yeah. Casey, let us know, will you? <laughs> but um, in terms of what the song's about, in terms of what it meant to her, she initially wrote this as a message to herself, as a message of kind of a letter to Casey almost. But eventually it became a letter for everyone. Mm. I think it was really, really well adopted by the LGBTQ plus community and, and everyone really. She doesn't acknowledge that it's directly for them because obviously the title Rainbow could easily have... Can be, can be construed towards that yeah but it's for everyone and i think everyone can take homage in this and talk and attach themselves to this yeah. emotionally because it's beautiful man it's for everyone if i'm ever going through anything rough in life 
I'm sticking this somewhere and crying my tits off to it. I hear yeah. you. I hear you. She, no, she said about that, the LGBTQ community, she said, oh, I will always be an ally and a strong supporter. Rainbow is something that I can dedicate to that community, but also to anyone else who has any kind of weight on their shoulders, is what she said about that. Yeah, so, that. And she addressed that in uh, the same uh, songwriter, uh, Shane McAnally, mm-hmm. also wrote with her Follow Your Arrow, which was on her last album, which addresses the same thing. Have you, have you listened to that song? It's a great song. I have. Such yeah. a good tune. You know, that was a bonus track on this album in Japan. Oh, okay. No way. So generally, this is an industry thing that not many people know about it. Don't no, I was, do you know what? I was I, I was literally thinking about this the other day about why Japan gets bonus tracks. Is that mm-hmm. what you're going to say? Yeah, they on, insist. Yeah, so Japanese, I... Japanese labels insist on having an extra track right the release of the album no way yeah it's That's generally because so how, do they, how do they back themselves how do they i bet i know why i've uh, uh it's a total mental guess but it might be wrong carl is it because the, the physical market's so much stronger yeah that they're propping up the industry to a degree so that they have a bit of leverage so japanese um music fans are big collectors they collect vinyls they collect cds and stuff like that they buy the physicals and so with that they ask for leverage because they have that with you. And they have distribution units over there. Like all the labels have a place in Japan, but the import market is quite vast and the albums are a lot more attainable for them. So they can just like buy it off offline and it can be shipped to them and stuff like that. It, right. They can get it cheaper. The albums are actually quite expensive in Japan, but they convince their own people to buy them by adding extra tracks and bonus tracks. And it's just a very big physical market over there. Love that. I, I, we've, um... Huge market, man. If you're, if you're big in Japan... In that tiny little country, you're fucking big, man. Like yeah. you, you can do a whole career. I've worked with artists who we've gone out and done 500 capacity rooms in the UK on the back of a 50,000 cap venue tour in Japan. It's amazing. <laughs> we, when we're in, um, I played at Tower Records in Tokyo a few years back and it's, we were there for an album launch day for some band. Um, and there was a queue around the block mm. for the physical. And yeah. you're like, this is so cool. They go mad for it. They're like you... Like you go on a, on a tour of Asia and you land in Korea or Japan and there will be, it doesn't matter how big you are, man. You could have, you could be going to play a 300 cap venue in, in, in Tokyo and there'll be 10% of your audience at the airport when you land. Madness. As soon as in, you a, the floor, in a good way. Madness with with pictures of you ready to sign and like pictures of like the band. You could have like a solo artist with a session band with them who were just a session band. Mm. And they would get off the plane and the fans would be there with pictures of Casey Musgraves and all of her band ready to be signed. They'll know them by name. They'll present them with gifts and everything. They're beautiful people, man. Mm. They love music more than, more than anyone. They're, they're brilliant. I love it. What a great place. Yeah. I feel like another point worth mentioning is um, that this was Casey Musgraves' grandmother's favorite song that she'd written who I think she lost maybe a few years ago, I think. She did. This was right? the last song of, of Casey's that I got oh, no, she, she did, because she performed this at her funeral, didn't she? She mm-hmm. sang this at her funeral. Which um, must have been hard, man. Like, I, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I'd be able to get through a performance of this song as Casey in a room. No. Never mind at me, Grandma's funeral. No. No, it's, no it's, it, is, it does have such weight, this song, anyway. Uh, but I was going to mention her earlier, but we, we sort of, um, we bypassed it for a bit, but... With Butterflies, the song Butterflies, Casey visited a medium after having lost her grandmother. And uh, the medium said that that um, whenever she sees a bu- Butterflies became Casey Musgraves' uh, animal that uh, personifies her grandmother. Whenever she sees specifically a yellow butterfly, that is her grandmother um, making her presence known. 
uh, and I know that allegedly. Uh, well, allegedly, Casey believes you know that's her. She's a big time spiritualist in in that sense, and yeah, man. Uh, you can do what you want. Um, this song existed a long time ago. This song about six years ago, and when it was played to her her grandma, it was uh, her, her favorite song. And you're right, though. Imagine imagine hearing or trying to perform this at a funeral. Wouldn't have got it out, man. No, wouldn't have got it out. No. What a way to cap off an album, man, and and a beautiful album in general. So let's leave it there with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves. I just, hope, I just hope we did justice. Me too, man. It, it means a lot to to all of us, I guess. You know, whether it being party or wedding, and and just something that we always listen to when when we're working together and stuff. And yeah, great album. And uh, and thanks Cody for suggesting that and yeah, to us, man. Because when it came through, it was such a pleasant surprise to see it. It was like, man, we've got to bring this. I well. could have, I could have hugged you virtually. I, I swear to you. <laughs> No, it's, this is a big, this is a massive one for you, isn't it? It, it really it, is. It's just, it's just gold. Yeah. It's just gold for me. Gold now. It really, it really is. Honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't say enough good things about it. Yeah. And I, I really encourage anyone listening to give it a few good listens because mm-hmm. it, it only sinks deeper in and your favorites will change again and again. Yeah. yeah. Hugely. It's, a, it's an album full of I bangers. I mean, she hasn't released an album. It's, that was 2018. She's someone that writes a, an awful lot. And she hasn't released anything to date. She's released a, a couple of singles. She's got an album coming out this year, but that just shows you the gravitas and the the importance of letting that album breathe and, mm-hmm. and reach yeah. people. And she told it hard. And, you know, this album did incredibly well. Like it was nominated for four Grammys and won all four of them. Yeah. Bang, bang, bang. There you go. She got album of the year, best country album, best country solo performance and best country song, which you got album of the year. Album of the year at the, the Grammys. Grammys. Yeah. That, Fantastic. That is amazing. So, yeah. Awesome album. Can't wait to see what comes next from Casey Musgraves. Of course. So there it is, boys. Season finale. That ends season one of Between the Tracks. It really does. Um, what, a, what a ride. What a journey, what a journey. Uh, Thanks, Adam Chivers. Thanks, Cody Gobert. Yep. It's thanks, been great having you two guys uh, pick the albums for the end of the season too. That's really, really what we wanted. And... It's, it's been nice to have people get involved with us. Yeah. Um, on that subject, we should maybe play because we got our first real voicemail. I guess it's our first real it's voicemail. A, it's our first legit complimentary voicemail. Yeah, exactly. Did you say that's fair? I think that's fair, yeah. Otherwise, we have some, sometimes we have people just saying, hello, how are you? <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we get some, <laughs> weird, we get some weird ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so this is from Anna Borkowska, who lives in Poland, and she sent us a voicemail. And she follows us on Instagram and has commented on a few things. And so Anna... If you're listening right now, thank you so much. And um, yeah, this is what Anna had to say about the show. Let's dial her in. What are we saying about sound effects? How's that? Yeah, Great. like that? Fantastic. Hi, guys. Um, how are you doing? Greetings all the way from Poland. I just wanted to say that I've just finished catching up on all of the episodes. And I think this has become one of my favorite podcasts, if not my favorite podcast. Um, I love listening to you when I bake and I love listening to you when I go on great walks. Just, you know, uh, discovering new music or revisiting some albums has been pretty amazing. Keep up the great work. I'll definitely stick along. Can you believe that? I honestly, I cannot. That's a real human in Poland digging our shit. Yeah. We're very grateful yeah thank to, you. to have that to bring in at the end of the first season when you can almost feel like sometimes you're shouting into the void all of us just ranting and raving and loving albums and spitting it all out into the ether to actually have someone come back and say they're enjoying it man that means everything so anna thank you so much for thank you very touch. much thanks for listening we hope that we can um see you on the next season 
And so, yeah, I guess that's probably going to wrap us up for the time being. So, And there will be a next season. There will be a next season. We're going to be coming back. We're going to take a little break and figure out what we're going to do with the next season. We'll obviously be bringing more of your, you guys' albums in, bringing more of our own stuff and just trying to keep this going. So we do have some beers, as always, this week. Um, Chris is wandering over to the fridge. What you got, mate? I didn't really give these any time. Oh, that one looks exactly like the album cover. Can I just say, stay tuned as well, because we're going to be dropping in a few weeks, we'll drop a trailer for season two. So um, for anyone that's interested in what we're doing in the next season, yeah, stay tuned because we will be back. Yeah, so we're thinking about maybe mixing it up a little bit, coming in with a different theme for how we pick the albums for next season. But we're going to talk that out after this. We're going to take a little break, um, not too long, and talk about it. And we'll put up a trailer for season two, which will give you an idea of what album we're going to be bringing in first and what the general theme is going to be for that season. Yeah. Cool. Tell us about the beers, bud. We've got something from Good Brewing Company, and it's pronounced that way, I believe. Cornish made Magic Gardens, because obviously we've been secondhand smoking a load of weed through that album. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've got Inner State... From LHG, we've had Left Under Giant in before. They're from over in Bristol. Yeah, Interstate, a little hazy one. Yeah. And um, one that most embodies uh, this album. That looks just like the album cover. It does. From New Bristol Brewery, What Time Is Love, their India Pale Ale. And it's all pink and blue, just like the album itself. So Love that. Right then, we'll crack one open, mate, and I'll ride this out. So yeah, again, everyone who's listened and everyone who's taken part and joined us on this little journey, crack a bang. Uh, thank you thank you for listening thank you for supporting the show if you want to get in touch with us and keep in touch with us whilst we're on our little season break go to www.betweenthetrackspodcast.com you can find all of our socials at tracks.show which is the main name or support the show at patreon.com forward slash between the tracks I guess that's it boys wow what what a milestone 11 episodes there we go can you believe it it's been a pleasure we've made it somehow thank you all for listening my name is Carl Lewis This is Chris Bund. See you in season two. And this is Charlie Fowler. See you in season two. Cheers and gone. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Between the Tracks, a book club, but for music. Written, produced, and presented by Carl Lewis, Chris Bunt, and Charlie Fowler. Intro and outro music by Ross Chapman and Samson Jatto. Artwork by Jim Hurd at Twinfin Design Co. Thanks to our friends at Sennheiser for the support. If you've enjoyed this album and can afford to buy it directly from the artist, links have been added to our website. It was better with two holes anyway.